So one of the things that we usually do at the start of a retreat is to um, uh, <clears throat> have an opportunity for everybody to request the eight precepts, which is kind of like the a sort of framework for us during this time. Uh, one of the reasons for coming on retreat is to uh, learn about the ways that we cause ourselves suffering, <laughs> ways that we cause ourselves difficulties. So it's a process of observing closely the, the body and the mind and how they work. And one of the things that can really support that is having um, kind of like a framework. So it's like a container within which we can observe uh, the way the, the energy of desire, the sense of frustration and so on, and just learn about these things. So it's not that we're totally masochistic and wanting to give ourselves a hard time, but we're wanting to learn about the, um, what it is to be a human being and how we can live uh, more happily uh, in this human realm. So the precepts, most of you are familiar with these, but for the benefit of people who've not been here before, who aren't familiar with them, I'll quickly go through them, and then we'll determine them in a very formal uh, way. So we have the... Actually, before we start on the precepts, we have what we call the three refuges, which we always take as part of the... Uh, determining of the of the eight precepts, five precepts or eight precepts for on retreat. So the first refuge is the refuge in Buddha, which is represented by this statue here, the historical figure of the Buddha who uh, lived uh, two thousand five six hundred years ago, uh, and who through his own efforts came to a perfect state of perfect understanding. Uh, and essentially liberated himself from from the um, from every kind of suffering, um, and he couldn't stop his body getting old and getting sick, and he couldn't stop it from dying eventually. But he was able to find a way to maintain, to establish and maintain a sense of inner calm and balance uh, throughout his life. So that's the Buddha. It also refers to that quality that each of us has, the quality, the capacity to be awake, to see clearly, to understand things as they are. And this is what we'll... I'll, I'll talk about this again, so don't worry about remembering it all, but it'll come up many times during these few days we're together. So the Buddha, this capacity we have to know, to see things clearly in an undiluted way. Dhamma is the truth and also the teachings of the Buddha that point to that truth. So that's the second refuge. Um, so a lot of our meditation is about establishing ourselves in the present moment. And truth, realities, can only be tasted when we're fully present. We can taste it fully when we're present so the training, the, 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 the meditations are training the mind to be fully present, fully within that, resting in that refuge of Dhamma is one way of understanding it. And then the third refuge is refuge in Sangha. And Sangha is community. So everybody here, we're all part of 
Sangha. We're all part of a community of people gathering to spend this time together, practicing, putting the teachings of the Buddha into practice. A very valuable uh, support and encouragement. It also refers to the enlightened disciples of the Buddha. And um, I'm not sure, some of you may be enlightened, but I'm not sure, but the, all, the, all the enlightened disciples since the time of the Buddha, the beings who, who drew close, who were inspired by his teachings, who listened to what he had to say, and who applied the teachings in their own lives, and were able to experience themselves for themselves this perfect liberation from every kind of suffering. So Sangha means community. It also means our own uh, inner aspiration to live in accordance with truth, with Dhamma. So it, it, it has an outer meaning. Each of these has an outer meaning and an inner meaning. So these are the refuges. These are what, what support us in our practice. And then the precepts are the sort of more external guidelines, um, what we do with our bodies and, and speech. So the first one, to refrain from deliberately causing harm to any other living being. So definitely not killing killing beings. So even little tiny beings, even the spider that you find in the shower, please try to rescue it so it doesn't get washed down the drain. Um, and other other small animals. And I like to think of it also in terms of just how we are together. So not only not killing, which I hope nobody's going to kill anybody, but also um, uh, behaving considerately with each other, not, not barging past people, even if you feel really impatient, just to try to, to practice restraint and patience and, and um, not, not to just push past or... Uh, move in a way that's going to be um, disturbing as far as possible, especially in the shrine room. It's interesting, sometimes when people come late, if they're late for the puja, they come storming in. And uh, it's it's good that they're eager to be here in time, but it can be very um, um, disturbing, not quite scary. Sometimes it's a little bit scary, but... <laughs> when they come with excessive vigor. So, you know, when you come, even if you're late, try to try to come in gently so that you're not disturbing the people around you. Um, that's the way I like to think about that precept. So harmlessness, cultivating harmlessness and gentleness and not, not, not causing harm to each other. Second one, to refrain from taking things that haven't been given to us. Um, put it grossly, not, not to steal. <laughs> so we don't steal things from each other. We don't steal things from the retreat center. You know, there are things that have been made available for us to, to use while we're here, but then we, we leave them here. We don't sort of take a whole lot of knives and forks <laughs> in our handbags, <laughs> stuff teaspoons into our pockets, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> and... Um, so, you know, having having a respect for the things that are offered for our use, having having a respect and a carefulness around our own possessions and about each other's possessions. Um, so, although it's not taking from somebody else, I also like to think of it just having a, you know, taking care of our own things so that we don't leave them scattered around. So somebody has to move them to, to to out of the way. So 
um, to um, the second precept, not taking what hasn't been given to us, having respect for the uh, possessions of others. Um, thirdly, to refrain from any kind of sexual activity. Um, so the fifth precept, when, when you take the five precepts, is to refrain from sexual misconduct. But when we come on, on, a, on a retreat, we, we um, refrain from any kind of sexual activity, which um, it implies a kind of restraint, um, both in regard to our own bodies and also in the way that we um, are in, in relation to one another. And this is not to say that we shouldn't, you know, it's wrong to find somebody else attractive. You know, this happens because we have these sexual bodies, these bodies, you know, bung full of sexuality. But we um, we learn how to practice restraint. We learn how to um, regard one another as spiritual practitioners and to support one another, more like brothers and sisters, uh, rather than looking for some kind of sexual gratification, sensual pleasure through through. Um, physical contact or even just fantasizing um, about each other. And one of they talk sometimes about the retreat retreat romance, the Vipassana romance, <laughs> when you see somebody across the room and you think, ooh, he, she looks nice. And you create this whole kind of romance in your mind. And then at the end of the retreat, you come and start talking to them. And it can be um, a bit disappointing sometimes. <laughs> so... Try to avoid doing that. You know, see one another as spiritual practitioners and have an interest in supporting each other on our spiritual journey to liberation. Fourth precept is to, well, the, the way it's interpreted is to refrain from lying or to refrain from false and harmful speech. Um, on the retreat, as you all know, we have a, we make a vow of noble silence. So we, we don't talk unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, try to find ways of, of not talking to each other. Um, this is a very useful precept. Um, and it also can be quite difficult if you're not used to it. You, know, you, can, you begin to realize how much we look to each to, we use speech to kind of reassure ourselves. You know, I'm terribly sorry I did that. Is it all right? And the other person says, yes, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Are you sure? And we can, we can get into a lot of reassuring and trying to um, make things all right with each other. And then when we decide to not speak, you know, how does that feel? Can we, can we actually know that everything's fine? <laughs> you know, and, and, and um, you know, probably what you thought you'd done that was very offensive, probably the other people didn't, didn't even notice you know, I've sometimes apologized for things and people say, oh, I didn't even notice. So um, just see, you know, consider just not, not speaking. Um, obviously, if there's a crisis, if somebody collapses and you need to go and, you know, revive them or get help, then, of course, you, 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 you speak as necessary. The managers are, um, I'm sure they've made themselves known to you, so... Um, if if you are concerned about anything, speak to one of them or speak to me, or you can leave me a note and uh, we can arrange to have a conversation if that's needed. Um, but as far as possible, you can have a holiday from speaking uh, during this time. 
fifthly, we're referring from the use of alcohol or um, any kind of um, recreational drug. Um, this doesn't mean that you stop taking your prescribed medication. If you have prescribed medication, please do uh, know that you have permission. In fact, you have encouragement to uh, keep taking the pills. Um, but as far as uh, any kind of um, mind-altering drugs, please refrain. Um, I'm always rather happy to say that tea and coffee is allowed. <laughs> so we don't, we don't count caffeine. But I, I recommend moderation. In fact, you'll probably find that you prefer to not, maybe not take as much as you usually take, just because as, you, as, as the mind quietens down, you begin to um, recognize that these things do have a kind of stimulating effect. And um, sometimes people can feel quite agitated if they drink too much coffee. So moderation with tea and coffee and um, complete abstinence from alcohol and other drugs. Um, this is because we really want to learn about the mind and we really want to observe the body. We really want to understand um, our human predicament. So we need a mind that is clear and able to reflect uh, on our situation, um, able to... We're learning how to stand back um, and to observe the movements of the mind. So sometimes some of you may find yourself having all kinds of ridiculous, crazy thoughts and getting really angry and upset about something or um, just boring, repetitive patterns of thinking. You might think, oh, if I could just get rid of this. What we're learning to do in meditation is just simply to observe it. And cultivating patience and also allowing understanding to arise. One of the most important understandings is that things change. It sounds very obvious, but when you're stuck in a repetitive chain of thinking, you think, I've got to get rid of this. You don't have to get rid of it. It's going to go if you just allow it to go. You just learn how to observe and see things change. This is very liberating. So rather than sort of you know, having some alcohol or some other kind of mind-altering substance. We just learn how to watch and observe with a clear, clear mind. Learn the workings of the clear. Um, un, un, um, yeah, don't put these things into your mind. Uh, then we, um, we don't have food afternoon. And this one is... Um, a little bit concerning for people who are not used to it, but I don't think it'll be a problem for anybody. If if you do have a medical condition that requires you to eat in the afternoon, um, I imagine that you'll have already spoken with the retreat managers and made some arrangement to have a simple supper of some kind. But for all of the rest of us, we, we don't take food afternoon. Um, and avoid using food just as a kind of escape. Uh, again, this is so that we're actually cultivating the patience, the capacity to stay with uh, things that we find difficult and to see how they change. We don't have to worry about them or get rid of them. They change if we can just be patient and stay with it. So avoiding uh, taking food other than 
breakfast time. You can have an enormous breakfast and you can have an enormous meal before 12 o'clock. And then there'll be tea and coffee and herbal teas and all kinds of things you can have at, at, at tea time at five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, then uh, we we relinquish, we renounce uh, any kind of fun. So, <laughs> so we can't play games. We don't play ping pong or chess or any of these things. Uh, we don't have any kind of sports. Uh, we don't have a... There's no cinema. We have. We, you'll find that actually just observing your own mind is enough of a cinema. Uh, plenty of entertainment going on there. Um, we don't uh, sing or dance or have music. Uh, and we don't... Um, there's also the one about beautifying ourselves with perfumes and cosmetics. So we don't try to enhance our appearance or our physical presence in any way. This is an encouragement. Again, it's sort of related to the third precept. So we, we, we're just, you know, you, 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 you cover the body, you, you dress modestly. Uh, obviously, you dress warmly when you go outside, put on lots of layers when we go walk, do walking meditation. Um, but there's no need to paint your face or wear lots of jewellery or anything like that. We don't need to draw attention to ourselves um, to try to attract one another in any way. So it's like a kind of a, a modesty, a sort of play, playing down um, certain aspects of our physical presence. Yeah, so, okay, we've got these bodies, they need to be covered, they need to be protected, um, but uh, not, not, not um, deliberately setting out to um, uh, create a fascinating or attractive uh, persona. <laughs> Uh, and the final one is a strange one, to refrain from lying on a high or luxurious sleeping place. Um, the way we interpret this is to um, is about sleep, really. So we're not deliberately uh, seeking a lot of um, comfort. I mean, you obviously need to be comfortable to, to, to rest the body, but you're not... Um, uh, what, well, I, I usually just say, you know, I find it much easier to, much more difficult... Uh, there seems to be much less reason for getting out of a very luxurious sleeping place. If I've got an enormous amount of, if it's soft and lots of comfortable, uh, cosy bedding, then I, I tend to not, not be very interested in, well, there's no, re you, you can't think, why on earth would I get out of this, particularly on these cold, wintry mornings? <laughs> so as I said, it's not that you've got to be cold or desperately uncomfortable, uh, the beds, I think, are quite modest. They're, they're, they're not particularly high. Um, so we rest the body. You know, we take care of the body. We rest the body as needed. But we don't use sleep as a kind of escape or... I don't like the word indulgence, but it's a word sometimes that's used, you know, just indulging, just, just sleeping and sleeping and sleeping. So you may feel a bit sleepy during the first days of the retreat. This often happens, but... Try to come to every session. Try to be here. Um, if you nod off once or twice, don't worry about it. Um, you know, you, you'll wake up again and <laughs> carry on. Um, 
if you feel very sleepy, you can stand up. Um, but uh, And there'll be times during the day that you can have a little rest if you need to.